This podcast contains information, theories, and speculation based on the A Song of Ice and Fire books by George R.R. R. Martin. It can and will spoil future episodes of the HBO television series Game of Thrones. This is your one and only spoiler warning. If you're looking for our non-spoiler podcast on Game of Thrones, please look at our feed archive for Sunday night and Tuesday afternoon releases or visit baldmove.com for our entire catalog. Hey, and welcome again to the spoiler edition of the Game of Thrones podcast brought to you by BaldMove.com, the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's Game of Thrones television series. This is the final spoiler edition for episode uh, 510, Mother's Mercy. Not just the final spoiler spoiler for this uh, episode, but for the entire season. I just want to apologize if my voice sounds crappy because uh, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather um, this week. It's nothing serious. It's just a, a summer cold, which, you know, if you're a Death Clock fan, you know that's just the worst. So <clears throat> uh, I got that going for me. Let's just get cut right to it because uh, I want to talk about the season. I want to talk about it through the prism of the Sansa character arc because I think the reaction to her uh arc this season uh especially the 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 controversial rape scene was very polarized and nobody really was listening to each other but now that the dust has kind of settled and the season's in the books i think it's it's hard to argue that sansa's arc this year was worthwhile and first i want to share you a post that was put on reddit about two days ago by sir gallon lionheart and he says that her arc in season five, paralleled her season one and season four through season four arc entirely. Sansa gets betrothed to a psychopath, Joffrey slash Ramsey. A super tall person tries to help Sansa escape, but she refuses. Uh, the Hound or Brienne in season five. The psychopath did fucked up shit to a family member, turning Sansa completely against him. Joffrey killed Ned. Uh, Ramsey created Reek. Sansa is told by someone involved in the whoring business that Stannis will save her, uh, first by Shay, then by Littlefinger. Stannis loses the battle against all odds, mainly due to army decimation due to fire, uh, first in the Blackwater, then in Winterfell. Sansa gets sexually abused by psychos. She's stripped and beaten on Joff's orders, and she's raped by Ramsay. Sansa makes one or two verbal burns to Psychopath, but he ultimately gets the upper hand. She goads Joff at the Blackwater. She calls Ramsay a disinherited bastard. Sansa hears about her brother rising higher than expected. Uh, her brother Rob is kinged. And then the, her half-brother John is made Lord Commander. She's shown a mutilated remains of someone she cared about by said psychopath. Uh, Joffrey showed her Ned's head. Ramsay showed her the old lady's uh, flayed corpse. Person who betrayed Sansa's family helps her escape. First in Littlefinger. Second, uh... With Theon, a psycho woman is about to kill Sansa, but is pushed to a great fall by a person she trusts, but is really helping Sansa. Lysa by uh, her aunt Lysa by Littlefinger and Miranda by Theon. And he concludes it's pretty much a condensed version as the previous seasons. 
Now, to the extent that I complain when other shows flip-flop on character developments like <clears throat> The Walking Dead, you know, the classic example is Rick doesn't want to be a leader. Now he's a leader. Now he's a rictator. Now he's a lunatic. Now he's a farmer. Now he's a warlord. Now he doesn't want to be the leader again. Now he's unilaterally banishing people. Now he's conspiring against established leadership. It's just a fucking mess of back and forth and whatever the character needs to be for the writers that particular week. To the extent that I bitch about all that, I have to bitch about it when it comes to the Game of Thrones because where Sarah, or sorry, where Sansa was going at the end of season four to where she is in this season is just a total regression. And I didn't find it particularly interesting. Now you add in the fact that this kind of regression and going over the same territory with her uh, is about rape or ha- involves a rape in the narrative. You have the baseline dissatisfaction of the story from a narrative point of view, and now you have people offended on top of being unsatisfied. And then the basic problem is, you know, this this whole double D remixing. And I, you know, I'm I guess I'm against almost all forms of remixing because I sure don't like it when when Kirkman does it in The Walking Dead, and I'm starting to dislike it when the double D's do it on Game of Thrones. And and, and here's the key problem. Uh, that I found in both works. You take the plot of fake Arya and Reek from the books. This plot is not about fake Arya. This this uh, Gene Poole. Um, this plot is about Theon's struggle against breaking free of the mental prison that Ramsay is in. And you take that plot and then now you cast Sansa as the fake Arya. You cast Sansa not because it's interesting for her character, but because it it juices up Theon's plot. We, we're we going to care more about it because we don't care anything about Jane other than as a human being, whereas Sansa is the character of Sansa. And I gave them benefit of doubt because they shot that scene on Theon's face because they're trying to be sensitive to Sansa and to our viewers' sensibilities. But I think it, they're just clueless about how this looks to people. And they take Sansa's arc from the books, which is you know, uh, a person, and and especially her preview chapter in The Winds of Winter, uh, which is about a person who's just learning how to wield personal power, but doing so in a very inexperienced and sometimes naive uh, and sometimes ineffective way. It's very similar to Arya starting to wield the weapon she was given it um, at the the beginning of the series. And and what do you do with that particular plot? The, the interesting thing was with Sansa coming into her power. Do you do you just postpone it to next year? Just just have this year be a, a regression uh, for her to emerge stronger? I thought that's what last season was about, and what the climax of last season, her coming out with the dark hair and the, and, and the raven dress. But you know, the other problem is I think we're starting to flirt with shock overload. You know, just like if if you're a horror fan and jump scares, the first time you're in a dark theater and they get you with those, oh my god, it's like awesome. You got goosebumps, your skin's tingling, and then after a few years, uh, and you get exposed to this stuff and overexposed to this, they don't do anything at all, and you kind of crave like I want the genuine horror that I felt for the first time. And sometimes you get shows and movies that give it to you, but they don't do it by overexploiting the or over exploiting the the jump scare you know and i think the same you get the same general problem with dorn it all sounds good on paper to make jamie and braun go down to dorn 
like Oakheart and Swan. You know, it's 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 essentially the same plot, kinda. But you've got two characters you actually get, care more about. Uh, you're you're coming into the experience caring more about them by default. But Doran was only interesting because Doran had this secret plan that he was accomplishing behind the scenes, and his people only thought he was weak and febile. And Jamie is is only interesting when he's brooding about his sister and his brother and his father and his fa- place in the family and his world, and he's growing estranged from Cersei, and it leads up to this emotional climax of him refusing to help his sister uh, slash lover uh, slash mother of his children in the hour of her need. And you put Jamie and Dorne, and you take all that pathos away, and then you take the plot out of Dorne, and it's just fucking stupid. In, in my mind, the whole middle of the season was plotting, but then too much had to a- happen as a result. You know, Hard Home was great, but then Stannis' change of heart was unbelievable uh, for the majority of us. And by giving Hard Home to us when they did, they wrote themselves in this corner where they couldn't have John believably just abandon the wall for personal reasons. I mean, my God, he he'd seen the destruction of Hard Home at the hands of the White Walker. So they had to make the assassination of John more of a villainous act of treachery than some misguided but understandable reaction to John's rash action. You know, Arya was great, but then they're forced to have her act in this uncharacteristic ways. Uh, you know, with with staring, gaping mouth at at her target, and and you know, uh, then following Marin Trant, being very obvious about it, and just just terrible. They had to shoehorn into this this sex violenced up another juiced up plot point that I don't think is going to make chronological or narrative sense when we rejoin her next season. Same thing with Sam. They took John's uh, decision that was that was wise and showed foresight and definitely handling the danger to to Gilly and her baby and and having Sam trained at the Citadel as a replacement for uh, Ammon. And they made it into an essentially selfish act by Sam, just by fucking with the timing of it. You know, moving it up or putting it past Hardhome changed that whole scene fundamentally in a way that I think is worse. And, you know, maybe the Double Ds are just bored at this point in Game of Thrones. Or maybe they just don't value the same things I do in, in Game of Thrones. Uh, even the way they spoke of Alistair Thorne in the Insider video of the finale... Oh, he's just this bad man in contrast to Ollie, who's this good, innocent person. I mean, fuck that. Alistair Thorne is not a bad man. Even what makes it onto the screen is a lot more complex than than reducing his character to that. And, you know, you, you keep on juicing up the violence and you juicing up the shock value. It's going to lose its effect. And then you have this remixing thing where you take characters and plots, you put them in a blender, and now characters are appearing in plots that don't really suit their character anymore or never did in the first place. And I think a lot of, you know, what built, what made the first four seasons great where everything kind of felt organic and it was, it was shocking, but it also, you know, you couldn't hate them the week after because it all kind of made sense. I think they're getting away from that. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't know where we go from this as they get a more and more tenuous grasp on the source material. And it makes it really hard to predict what happens next. I mean, John comes back. Everybody thinks John's going to come back. Well, not everybody, but a significant majority, a two-thirds majority at least. And he's freed from his vows because he actually died, and now he's he's not dead. And now what? He's got a wildling army? Okay, what then? The wall's still held by hostile forces. Uh, the wall's all that matters after Hardhome, right? 
are the Black Brothers going to kneel at his feet when he arises? Is he going to be the father of direwolves like Danny and inspire religious fervor around himself being Azor Ahai? Does that sound right? Is he going to have to conquer the wall and run it with a coalition of the willing Black Brothers and the Wildlings and put the rest through the sword? Actually, that kind of sounds cool. Or maybe he retakes Winterfell from the Boltons or from Littlefinger or whatever. And I, I just feel like right now we're in a situation... Like, if we were trying to de- predict what Danny was going to do after Game of Thrones season one or book one, right? Did you see her conquering Slaver Bay with the freed slave army and posting up there for four more books? Four more seasons? I don't feel like there's a lot of textual hints on how George is going to move the characters post dance into the end game. I think we have a lot of textual hints on what that actual end game is going to be, and we've discussed that. But getting there from here. I, I I I'm I'm not seeing it. As for next season, my hope is they get back to following the books better, or completely go further away from them, and to the extent that they deviate from the books. Don't just remix the characters and settings and plug in this person and this setting. Go ahead and rewrite those so that they make sense for the characters you're actually using, and it makes sense for the actions they're actually taking in, uh, as their character. That's my hope. Um, but you know. If we don't have Winds of Winter out, if if right now the Double Ds don't have a draft copy of the final manuscript that 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 Martin's essentially waiting for his editor to get done with, I don't see how they're going to do that. Um, you know, we we said at the beginning of the season, this is going to be kind of a test to see how well the Double Ds fly uh when they go away from the books because we saw how quickly things were going to be diverging as far as Dorn goes and, and Sansa and Winterfell. And I, I what would you give it? A C? C minus? Um you know, this season's not terrible, but it left a lot of stuff on the table. And that's the first time I can kind of say that about Game of Thrones and 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 that's that's kind of sad. Alright, I've I've teased this next thing for a couple weeks. Um I, I, I got this sent in to me about three weeks ago. It's casting news. It's from the casting call for season six. I think it's super interesting, but people love the tinfoil. So I kept on uh, delivering that, uh, even though it got progressively weaker and thinner uh, as the season went on. In fact, I next season, unless we had the winds of winter out, I think I probably will fold the spoiler section back into the main cast, maybe even have Jim participate in it. Um, you know, when's the winner comes out, then Katie Bardador will probably be back to normal business. Maybe not with a tinfoil every week, but certainly with uh, a spoiler. I, I was also thinking about if when's the winner came out, maybe doing a weekly book club type thing. Uh, so if when's the winter comes out sometime between now and us coming back, might want to, or if it's announced even, might want to check this feed for the the week or two after that to see if there's an announcement because I I would like to flirt you know people have suggested a, doing a book club format on baldmove.com and I would like to do that where maybe we agree to read a certain amount of chapters per week and it's kind of like homework for everybody and everybody can read it and and make some notes and and we can talk about it I don't know how popular that would be but I think it'd be a great way to kind of uh Break down the winds of winter, but anyway, as I say in casting news, first up is a is described as a pirate quote a man in his forties to late fifties. He's an infamous pirate who has terrorized seas all around the world, cunning, ruthless, with a touch touch of madness. 
he's a dangerous looking man, a very good part for the season. So I had written off the Greyjoy storyline and I told people, you know, as late as I think episode five and six of this season, if you are an ironborn loyalist, I think you're going to be disappointed because I think other than Theon, they're done for the season. Well, this is almost certainly going to be Euron Greyjoy, uh, which means I'm full of shit. And <laughs> uh, now suddenly the king's moots back on the table. Um, you suddenly have uh, Euron's Dragonhorn back on the table. You got potentially other, you know, Yara slash Asha. Um, you got uh, maybe Victarion, although they don't have a Victarion type cast yet. So that'll be interesting to the extent that we all think that, um, you know, Victarion is a stalking horse for his brother uh, with the whole Danny business. I guess you could safely condense all that into to Euron, but. Congratulations. Rejoice, Iron Islanders. You are getting uh, at least a sizable plot, a sizable part of the Greyjoy plot back into this next season. Next up is a father, age 50s to 60s, one of the greatest soldiers in Westeros, a humorless uh, man, severe and intimidating. He demands martial discipline in the field and in his home. He's described as a very good part for next year and that he's centrally involved in a protagonist storyline. To me, this screams uh, Randall Tarley. Uh, that would be Sam's father, who you know was mentioned prominently this year by Stannis in his discussion with uh, kind of stupid discussion with uh, Sam in the library about Dragonglass. Which, by the way, I guess Dragonstone's not ever going to get uh, mined for Dragonglass unless Davos does it uh, next year. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, he also has a family, uh, a mother. In her 50s, she's sweet, plump, and adoring mother, has a soft spot for one of her children who benefits from her decency, a sister in her early 20s, she's kind, friendly, and unpretentious woman, a brother in his early to mid-20s, athletic, good hunter, excellent swordsman, manly, not particularly bright, but the favorite child of his father. Um, you know, this this obviously is the Tarleys that uh, Sam's going to meet on his way to Old Town uh, to start forging his his... Uh, Maester's links uh, and his chain at the uh, Citadel. Uh, there's also a priest in his 40s or 50s, a gruff ex-soldier who found religion, now a no-nonsense rural priest who administers to the poor of the countryside. He's a salt-of-the-earth type of man who has weathered many battles. So this, to me, screams uh, Brother Narbert, I think is his name, from the Quiet Isle. Uh, you know, this is a chief component of the Gravedigger theory. Uh this whole sequence, this is, uh, the only reason for this to be in the books is essentially for us to have the suspicion that the hound survived his, his meeting with Arya alive. And it's also, um, you know, a lot of people doubt may think that it's just that it's as an Easter egg. Uh, there's an, there's an add on theory called the Clegane bowl. And I go, went over this all in detail last season, uh, check out the grave digger episode of the spoiler theories. And you can find all the spoiler archived up in the comments. Uh, there's a link to an archive that'll take you to the episode. We discussed it in the time code, but anyway, there's this grave digger theory that has this overall, uh, Clegane bowl. They call it theory. 
uh, where the, you know that that there's going to be this this contest, this this trial by combat, uh, Cersei versus the Faith of the Seven, and Cersei's going to call her monster Robert the Strong uh, to be her champion. Now, none of this has actually happened yet for the adventuresome show watchers, so so simmer down a bit. Um, this is just a theory on what might happen in the next book, but she's going to call Robert as her champion, the resurrected Gregor Clegane, and the Faith is going to call a uh, you know, a champion that could conceivably stand against him. It's going to be the hound, um, a recuperated hound that's been, that's been ministered to, uh, by the, the brothers on the quiet Island. So if, if they go with this route, which it seems like they're going to, because why else cast this guy? Um, it'll be interesting because there's been many, many character swap identities wise, you know, with Barristan, uh, and it's happened a couple times before, and this and the show has always wisely shied away from that because if you cast the man who plays Barristan Selmy, if you put Ian in a uh, robe and a beard, and you try to pass him off as some commoner for for several episodes, people are going to be like, "No, no, I I recognize Barristan. That's totally Barristan in a robe and 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 a beard." You know, uh, Sandor is even more striking. So how are they going to get away with putting him in a cloak and and covering up half his face and having his hulking guy digging graves in the background and us not know that that's who it really is? Or maybe it'll just be a lot more on the nose where maybe whoever Brother Narbert is talking to, like Brienne or whomever, is not going to recognize him, but we do, and that's what they want us to do. Essentially, I mean, that's my argument for the Gravedigger theory in the books. Like, if you read that and don't think that it's uh, Sandor, uh, I can understand missing on it the first time, but if you look at the evidence and still like, nah, I don't think that's Sandor, it's like, okay, okay, whatever. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if, if how the show handles something like that. Um, and if they don't, if they just make it like, yep, this is Sandor, he's alive. What will that do to that scene? Kind of interested in seeing how, how they go with that. Uh, then there's a, a various rundown, a leading actress in her early forties. She's an elegant actress with a traveling theater company, fun, charismatic rum drinking actress in the troupe. I'm assuming this is something to do with Arya's mercy plot line. Although I kind of thought that that's, what they did with Marin Trant was a bit of a remix of that. So, um, apparent. So, so this makes me seem, it makes it feel like that, uh, she's going to get blinded, get trained, take out the thin man and then take out a, uh, another person that she's connected with at an, at a later time. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see how that goes, but I think that's where that's coming in. There's a priestess in her mid-20s to early 30s, Indian ethnicity. She's beautiful, intense, magnetic. Not sure where that is coming from because it felt like that they already had a perfectly serviceable priestess who's in her mid-20s to early 30s of of a particular ethnicity this season that had some significant looks with um, uh, Tyrion that didn't really go anywhere. Maybe that, that, that particular woman is not available anymore. And they're they're recasting it because it was only one scene. That'd be interesting. Uh, there's a fierce warrior, a tall man in his 30s and 40s with a powerful physique. They're looking someone with uh, for someone with a mixed ethnicity for the role. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's Victorian. 
I'm trying to think who else it could be. Oh, it could be Kraz. Uh, so they are going to remix that scene, but the showdown between him and Barristan, maybe that's the showdown between him and Jorah now. Um, that would be kind of interesting. Although, his Dar's dead. So what the hell? Yeah, I I, I, I don't know. I'm struggling to, to, to put this person. There's also a trio of boys. One, a large boy with an actor who is 10 to 12, but playing 7 or 8. He's described as a clever boy who seems too large for his age. He's big and tall, but not fat. Characterful squat features are a plus for this part. It's specified that this is a one-time appearance. Two, a 12-year-old boy with brown hair and blue eyes. He needs to use a northern accent. He has scenes where he has a spar with a wooden sword. The length of the role is not specified. And three, a 7-year-old boy with dark brown hair and narrow face and green eyes. He also has a northern accent. He also spars with a wooden sword, so it's safe to assume it's the same scene. This role is similarly open-ended, description only stating that the character is being introduced. Now, my thought is that this is going to be a Tarly family flashback with uh, Sam being the overly large boy, but it's weird that they specify that he is big and tall but not fat. But maybe, you know, if he's a little boy, he he got fat in adolescence. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I guess it could also be a flashback to Gregor and Sandor. Um, maybe that's interesting. So I'm thinking it's it's probably going to be a Tarly family flashback, uh, and we'll kind of see how Sam became the person that he is today, and, and and that'll tell us something about his character. Especially, I think the telling thing is it's a northern accent, and we know that Sam speaks with a northern accent. Um, that's uh, where John, uh, the 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 actor that plays him, is from. So it all makes sense that this is kind of a, a Tarly family reunion type of thing. Next topic I want to talk about, I asked for you book readers' opinions on whether the show watchers can start reading for spoilers now in various places on the internet, and I had a couple thoughtful replies. Uh, The first one from Tyler S. He says, it's probably not a big deal at this point for the non-book readers to just go crazy on spoiler threads and previous spoiler sections, as most of the major spoilers are out of the way, with the following exceptions. One... King's Landing, Varys reveals himself to be a Targaryen loyalist and kills Meister Pycelle and Kevin Lannister. Uh, granted, you've got the problem of, of Varys being a Marine now, but, you know, as we've seen on the show, apparently people can just teleport around the map uh, in the show, uh, similarly to how the camera moves around the map in the intro. So I don't think that's a huge problem for people. It will be interesting to see them discussing how Westeros... Um, you know, if we see them in, in Danny's small council discussing how Westeros is starting to shape up with Kevin uh, Lannister's rule, and then we see Varys get this enigmatic look in his eye and on his face, and then next episode, Kevin gets crossbowed. I think that would be uh, a perfectly fine way to handle it. Uh, Brand's training with the Three-Eyed Crow. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I'm not sure what would actually be interesting or even shock people at this point. I mean, Jojen paste is off the table because Jojen is dead. That's not going to happen in the show uh, unless it turns into Mira paste. Shit, it's totally going to turn into Mira paste or Hodor stew. I've, Hodor, though, more of a loaf? Hodor loaf? Roast Hodor loaf is confirmed for season six. Get hyped. Um, there's also everything Greyjoy. You got... Balin's death, the King's moot, Victorian's journey to Marine, and Asha getting captured captured by Stannis, 
And Tyler, it strikes me that the important things that need to happen in that plot line besides Balin dying, so we can't have Balin being the the winner of the War of the Five Kings, is Euron's horn and the mystery behind that and how it's going to fit into the plot. Him meeting Danny, if that's in fact something important that's got to go down. Uh, you know, we're clearly doing it this season, as we discussed in the casting news, which also blows the really cool Euron equals Dario theory that we discussed early in the season. Because if they're casting him, then you're not going to get show Dario as him. Uh, unless the casting news is as fake as Kit Harrington's Entertainment World or Entertainment Weekly interview. Um, I, yeah, no, there's no way. It would be interesting, though, if they put out fake casting news just to throw people off the plot on that. Um, and like I said, with this kit thing, to the extent that I'm convinced he's coming back, uh, shows that they are not afraid to go out there and manipulate their actors or even the press. So we'll see. I, I think, you know, I, I think Kit knows someone else pointed out, um, one of our, one of, uh, Jim's real life buddies sent me an audio link to a podcast where they were talking about rumors of, um, you know, seeing Kit, uh, secretly on the set, already maybe doing some filming. Um, also, the fact that if you go to Kit Harrington's IMDb page, uh, every time an actor dies on the show, you can go to their IMDb, IMDb page and see what projects they're working on next. You know, and and what they what what projects they're attached to for next year. And you look at Kit Harrington's, and there's nothing. There's nothing, which implies that you know when filming began and he got his script and they told him what was going to happen to him that his agent just sat on his th- his his ass and did nothing that's pretty much a smoke you know other than the fact that we're 99 percent sure that john's coming back that's a pretty big smoking gun that kit harrington is in fact kind of lying to the press when he says he has no idea he thinks he's the end this is the last thing for him but anyway we all know that uh moving on to tyler's fourth point Barristan imprisoning prisoning Hisdar in the Battle of Marine. It's likely that Tyrion will take Barristan's role in the book after Danny leaves. He could spend a good port, a good port, a good part of the season dealing with the Sons of the Harpy, and we could potentially get a Blackwater-style battle of Yunkai, Astapar, and Karth decide to attack. Maybe Tyrion wouldn't use his chain this time. You know, I'd actually be pissed if they got the chain out for this. Blackwater is where it would really have wowed people and put, you know, the Tyrion worship over the top. I think it would be kind of nonsensical to use it for Marine. Uh, I sus- suspect you're joking there. So uh, I guess the question is, how long will Danny be away? I mean, that's that's the key thing in both the books and the show. Will she arrive before the battle to lead as like a dragon warrior queen? Will she show up in the middle and save the day with aerial support and Dothraki uh, reinforcements is she going to show up when it's all over with this massive army a fleet of ships and her city safe free to set sail for westeros uh or will the dothraki just slit her throat in the grass sea not bloody likely but we don't know and and you're right that is a potential spoiler for people and i really hope they don't do the hisdar scene because i'll feel kind of bad spoiling that for for people last season Maybe it'll be long enough. It's going to go on for long enough that uh, they'll forget forgotten about my little audio clip from this year. Anyway, Arya's blindness in killing the Thin Man uh, is his fifth point. I think we'll definitely get some badass fighting. He says lessons with a blind Arya, and maybe once she gets her sight back, she'll redeem herself by killing the Thin Man like she does in the books. 
I mean, I guarantee we'll get some cool ass Arya Sith type training. I don't see her going back to the blind man uh, myself. I hope they just kind of move her along to something more interesting. Although I could see her going back with a new face and being very subtle and elegant and poisoning him, you know, perhaps going down like she does in the book instead of just poisoning his food, she poisoned his coin uh, to show us how much she's moved past her obvious gaping and staring strategy employed against Marin Trance, which I'm not really thrilled with. I'd prefer them to just get this right in the first sequence, and I don't need you know, this ham-fisted comparison of Arya before she was properly trained with Arya after she was properly trained. I don't think Arya, even untrained, would be as stupid as she was in, in that particular episode. But anyway, I've talked about that enough. This is turning into a bummer of a podcast. Uh, point six, John Connington and Aegon, or Fagon, as people like to call him. Probably not going to happen since they remixed Connington's grayscale already, but they could have Dorne produce a fake Aegon or something. You know, I wonder what people would think about that. You know, Dorne is such a lost cause at this point. I can't even imagine what they'll come up for or come up with for Doran to do that won't make him seem like a complete and utter goof still. I mean, some people saw his nod to Ilaria on the dock scene where she kisses Marcella uh, to be uh, him as part of the conspiracy. Like, yep, go ahead, kiss her. Kiss her long and deep. Get that poison jammed in her mouth. But I saw that nod to mean, you know, like when you've got a little kid that's that's uh, meeting your boss and, and you've gone over time and time again, like, you are not going to do this. You are not going to do this. You're just going to go up and you're going to shake his hand and you're going to, you know, it's it's more like, go ahead, say goodbye and play fucking nice or else kind of nod. You know, and if you believe that's part of the conspiracy that Doran wanted this to happen, you have to explain why the fuck he put his son and heir on the boat where his fiance is going to be murdered with poison on a delayed reaction. Like it's just in it's, it's insanity wolf type shit for Doran. And I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, there, yeah, well maybe more on that later. Uh, point seven, Quentin Martell. Um, you know, as you say, Tyler, I don't see them using Quentin either. But you're right. The mere act of him freeing the dragons is a potential spoiler um, because people don't really know how that's going to resolve. So those are the primary points. Um, he continues, I'm also sure, I'm not sure how well non-book readers would be able to follow the spoiler speculation or even if they would find it entertaining since these sections deal mainly with the book theories, some of which have no application to the show. I also don't think going back and listening to theories that have already been disproven or confirmed by later episodes would be interesting to most people. And you know what? That's my big concern. If you haven't read the books and you're just listening to random quotes from prophecies that you don't know the character who spoke it or under what context or circumstances, I don't know that that's super interesting. I know that there are show watchers who don't give a fuck about spoilers and just listen to these spoiler podcasts for the hell of it, and they seem to enjoy it, but you know they're a different breed than me. I'd have cracked and read the books a long time ago. I mean, hell, if you've been with me since the beginning, since the Night's Watch days with Mad Brew, you know that that was kind of my plan to start with, and I just couldn't take it. And I read the first three books between seasons one and two, and then I read uh, Feast and Dance between seasons three and four. You have to be in this little sweet spot of the Venn diagram where you're passionate enough about Game of Thrones to want to know what's maybe going to happen next, 
but not passionate enough to read 1.7 million words on the subject, which that ain't nothing, man. That's a pretty big sweet spot to live in, honestly. That's almost four times longer than Lord of the Rings. So I I get why people do that. It's just it's just funny to me because if you want to know and join in and read the books, but it's 1.7 million words. It's a lot of words. A lot of words. Uh, Baradar has another chiming in with the spoilers. He says, I think we have to turn off the spoiler safeties. We've caught up to the books and exceed them in some places because the show is taking liberties with the book plots and spoiling elements of future books. It's fair to say that everything from here is speculation, so very little, if anything, can be spoiled in the reader-to-watcher pathway. Telling Jim and listeners about background information from the books and differences between them is fair game. So although it's a slow-burn realization that the show will outstrip the books... Readers were protecting the watchers for six years, and now it's inverted for the final two years, whether we like it or not. When you take all these things together, I think it's safe to say that the responsibility to be spoiler-free is pretty much gone. If anyone doesn't like it, they can blame George R.R. R. Martin or the Double Ds, depending on preference. That's a fair point and gives me some things to talk about. My traditional differences between books and the show is going to be tricky this year because if I talk about Jamie's mission in the Riverlands, it would not surprise me to see them remix that for next year. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to give the broad strokes of that, which is essentially the broad strokes of Jamie's art for next season. So it's, it's hard to say. And like, I don't really want to talk about Sansa's arc in the books because that could very well be her arc for next season. So really, I'm left with talking about how Dorne went down in the books. But I can't talk about Quentin and the contract signed with fire and blood and all that stuff because that, in some modified way, is probably still going to be the plot in the TV show as they go along. So it's I could talk about Winterfell. Um you know, because that's there's some so many cool things about the the way they do this in the book, where they got the ghost of, of Winterfell, and there's lots of hints that that's actually Theon himself, and you get these POV chapters of his little fractured psyche, and lots of interesting background tidbits about you know the the politics of the North, which is you know big big underpinnings for the Grand Northern conspiracy theory, which we don't get at all. Um, in and and that's one of the reasons I think the season. Another reason the season came off as more of a bummer because in in and dances with dragons or dance with dragons and feast for crows they're buried in there, but there are a few moments of triumph, uh, or at least potential. Hey, you know, winks from George to say, hey, I haven't forgotten about how bad the good guys have been worked over, and there are plans to to right some of these wrongs in the making. Now, whether the payoff or not, I don't know, but at least there's a promise of that. And those are just kind of absent in the show, and I don't know what my obligation to not spoil people ends and their desire to know how the difference between the books and the show begins because their differences are... There's probably more... For the first time, more differences than similarities in the show, especially if you're talking about one-to-one similarities. Now... You mentioned something about the relationship of book readers to show watchers uh, flip-flopping as far as protecting from spoilers. Not that I think the book readers were particularly good stewards of that. I mean, especially with the Red Wedding, there was a lot of of, um, glee at, uh, you know, taunting the readers with with knowledge. Um, But 
more to the point, there's some some book readers I've seen on forums saying they're going to swear off the show so that they want to read the books first and get the the true experience, the true canon experience from George's eyes. And I just think they're not thinking this thing through, man. And if you're one of those people, I just want to ask, uh, have you thought about the headlines you've read in the magazines uh, in the newspapers, in Buzz on BuzzFeed, on Facebook, uh, skits on Saturday Night Live, Twitter, Reddit, people talking at the office just this season about stuff. Um, you know, I've seen the headlines where they have, you know, a picture of the Night's King, and you won't believe the horrific things that happened in a hard home last night. Like, if you were a book reader, the, you know, something like that would spoil you enough to probably piss you off, right? And I just think if you think that you can avoid, like, Red Wedding-level spoilers from the TV show, uh, it's – I just can't imagine. You're going to have to stay off the internet, not watch television, and be just a total asshole to your friends and family that watch the show to just preserve your virginity. I don't know that it's possible. If if that's what you want to do, I mean, that's what you got to do. But for me, I'd rather resign myself to being spoiled by the books or by the show – for the books and then enjoy the hopefully richer, more realistic, more nuanced takes in the books than, than vice versa. And as a person who watched the show and then read the books, you know, that was kind of my relationship with the game of Thrones. I can assure you it's a very nice experience because you get the gist and then you get the expansion and the details in the books. Um, arguably much nicer than reverse, uh, especially for this past season. So I mean, honestly, I think I'd have enjoyed this this season a lot more had it been a surprise. So to the extent that maybe we're going to be getting C-plus C, uh, level effort from the showrunners, maybe it's a better idea to go into the show and just kind of be roughly entertained by the broad strokes of what's going on. And then we can see the real story from George. And hopefully, again, like I said, more nuanced, more complex, and a richer experience. Moving on to double A Ron T. I can't believe the Double Ds didn't even tease Melisandre at the end. But my question is, is it safe to assume that unless they lead with Melisandre resurrecting Jon Snow in the first scene of the first episode next season that Jon Snow is just dead, at least in the show? I personally feel from a storytelling standpoint that it would be awkward showing Jon being resurrected anywhere but at the beginning of the episode. What do you think about this and how they handled Snow's betrayal? Well, Double A... I think by having Melisandre ride up to Castle Black, that's a pretty big tease. And a lot of the things I heard before the episode aired, like John's eyes are going to turn to warg white in the last few frames of video. I feel like that would have been just too on the nose for us. You already have non-book readers like Alan Sepinwall calling John's return just from the evidence they have on the TV show. And that, to me, seems appropriate. That sharp viewers are going to piece things together but with enough ambiguity that you'll still have holdouts that deny or even say they prefer if John doesn't come back, which I've heard from from book readers over the season of the spoiler cast. You know, and from that angle, I'm kind of glad that we didn't have a Lady Stoneheart type situation because I feel like with the books, there's this already growing sense that nobody is dead, quote unquote, for real. You got the Mountain, the Hound, Cat, Danny, and now probably Jon Snow coming back supernaturally from situations that should be fatal. But I think they might string along John, his reveal, a little bit. It's cold up north, so his body would believably keep for an episode or two. Or maybe if it kind of gets a little grody, that that's something they're going for. If he comes back as like a white, like as a conscious white, 
Although, you know, one, you know, the, you, you've got this sex symbol actor that the that the women uh, and uh, and and guys who are into that kind of thing uh, drool over to the extent that his hair is in the fucking contract that he can't cut his lustrous black locks. Would you really want to sit and fuck his face up and have, you know, have his eyes be all milky white and, and blood? I mean, yeah, horror fan, I guess it'd be kind of cool to have an action hero zombie avatar (laughs) as, as a fan favorite. But I, I, it seems to me when they bring, if, and when they bring John back, it's going to be pretty much like Jon Snow. I mean, he's going to look as handsome as he ever did. Similarly to what they did with Tyrion, you know, Tyrion's ugly as fuck in the books. And then he gets half of his nose sliced off. So it's literally just a skull hole there looking at you. Uh, He's, he's just horrific. And in the show, he's Peter Dinklage, good looking dude with a little bit of a facial scar. So, you know, from to the extent that I don't think Kit Harrington wants to sit in a makeup chair for eight hours a day, getting shit applied. I think he's going to come back as a, as a pretty boy still. Uh, prettier than all of uh, Tormund's daughters, in fact. But, you know, or maybe the other thing is, maybe John's dead in the sense that Kit Harrington's not going to play him anymore. Like, they burn his body, it's gone, he's warged into Ghost, and then he wargs into, like, a white cold hand style as a different dude altogether. I mean, that would give us a way to square his Entertainment Weekly interview without having uh, to call him a strategic liar. But... I kind of agree with you. I mean, I'm not saying it's got to be the first few scenes like it seems like you are, but certainly within the first three episodes. Um, but think about all the things they can string us along with. Bran. We haven't seen him for a whole fucking season. Uh, introducing the Greyjoys back into the plot. Giving us an update on what's going on in da- with Danny. Hell, they have Sam and Gilly to touch back in on. Uh, what's going on with Jamie and Braun and the Dorn situation? Cersei's quest for revenge. What's happening with Sansa? Arya's being blinded. I mean, that's one of the drawbacks of hitting with so many cliffhangers is there's so many things they got to resolve. And it's much easier to set those cliffhangers into motion than resolve them satisfactorily. So, you know, do I think they should fuck around with us for like the first three episodes with, with John in the background and not talking about the wall? No, but I think plausibly they could. Um, so we'll see. Like, I think end of episode one, end of episode two, the latest they could handle it without people just getting impatient is, is season, like the beginning of, of episode three, but, but we'll see. We'll see. Eddie says, came across this interesting aside from the double D's today. I have a link queued up to where somebody asked Kit and the rest, if you could be anywhere, anyone else in Game of Thrones, what would you be? And he, he linked me to this YouTube video, which is a, a video from the Oxford Union Society, which was taped on March 15, 2015. Uh, the Double Ds are sitting there with a moderator. You got Kit Harrington and John Bradley West, who plays Sam Tarley on the show, and are taking questions from the audience. Uh, at one point, someone asked if they could be any characters in real life, any of the book characters in real life, what would they be? And Kit uh, says he'd like to be a warg so he could put himself into a wolf. Which everybody laughs and turns into like a sexual in the window. And then one of the double D's says, oh, just wait until you see season six. Now, this could be Dan and David just being all troll face with the audience. Uh, it could be them winking at us book readers. Or it could just be them going with the joke about John being a wolf fucker. You know, 
the context is very hard to judge here, but it's entertaining, and I'm definitely going to link it to the show notes so you guys can watch it. It's pretty funny. Matthew T said, did you happen to notice the crow that landed behind Daenerys while she was chatting with Drogon upon that hill? I missed it at first, but after Daenerys was complaining about not having anything to eat, my wife and non-book reader said she could eat that crow. Cue to me frantically rewinding to see what she was talking about, and it's true. At around 40 minutes, 41 minutes into the season finale, a crow lands on a rock behind Danny. Obviously, it could be a coincidence, but I don't believe that they suddenly chose a crow suddenly chose to land amongst the camera crew or that a post-production person chose to leave a roadberg in a scene that they're already painstakingly adding a CGI dragon to. Hey, man, I follow you. And if you listen to my cast all this year, this has been something I've been hot on from the beginning. And we've talked about two or three other examples of crows being in the background at pivotal points in the series. Uh, when Sansa first came to Winterfell, when Jorah was exiled for the second time. I think there was also one in Castle Black or maybe at Hardhome. Uh, and now we got this. And, and I think this is all intentional. And, you know, this is kind of like one of those one-step reveal type, you know, it's the first step in the classic Martin three-step reveal of very subtle background note for the sharp viewer to pick up on or sharp reader to pick up on. Second is, you know, a a, a hint and foreshadowing aimed at the average, uh, um, you know, reader or the average viewer. And then the third step is the clue stick or the actual reveal where it's like, hey, dummy, this is actually what's going to happen or here it is happening. Um, you know, to, to let all of us feel really smart about ourselves. But yeah, I think that we're going to find that very early on in season six when we revisit Bran that he's actually been up there under the tree uh, watching all of this transpire through green seeing or warging uh, or maybe blood raven seeing it. But I don't think it's an accident at all. I think you're right on. Uh, and you know, the one with Sansa where she meets Miranda for the first time is literally a bird's eye view and then it swings back down and she's looking up at this bird looking at her. And I think these are very nice little Easter eggs for us to pick out. And it's going to tie in with Bran's seeming absence from this season. Because he's going to be shown to have been in Westeros in spirit this whole time. Carlisle from Memphis, Tennessee said, During some of the earlier spoiler editions this season, my best friend Hugh wrote into the story, Shitting all over the High Sparrow is Howland Reed Theory. Yeah, he's a total ass, but he's still my best friend. I'm recently engaged. Could you help me ask Hunter or Hugh if he will be my best man? Well, there you go, Hunter slash Hugh. You need to get with your BFF Carlisle there and uh, let him know. And uh, uh, congratulations to Carlisle. I've never actually hooked two dudes up over the internet before. I feel a little dirty. Uh, But uh, (laughs) hopefully you guys have made a bro connection and uh you know you can you can squire him through the marriage there hunter moving on sergeant drano so in your latest podcast you said you had somewhat come around on the stannis remix aaron come on now i feel like your judgment is being clouded by your personal hatred of religious extremism Eh, guilty as charged a desire to see religious extremists fail as opposed to analyzing this for consistency to the story as presented by both the tv show and the books you guys talked about how hindsight tells us the brawn poison scene was clearly there to establish the poison so we'd understand why it was going on later when Marcella was apparently killed by it. That's the only reason that scene exists. To its credit, I do feel like the characters were acting normally during the scene. The Shireen burning exists for the same reason, only a thousand times more ham-fisted. 
It solely exists to establish Stannis as the bad guy, so that the audience wouldn't be outraged when the Double Ds write off his entire arc in the next episode. But it's totally contrived. Stannis, Melisandre, Solis, none of these characters are acting true to themselves in order to cram that square peg into the round hole. You guys said you were now somewhat glad of the Shireen burning, since without it, people would have been really bummed that Stannis' force was getting wiped out. I don't think either of those things should have happened, nor do I think they're going to happen in the books. And it looks to me like we get bummed out either way. Characters acting out of character in order to serve the plot just really drives me nuts. And to be fair, I'm right there with you uh, as as far as we go uh, so far, Sergeant Drano. Uh, he says to me, and he actually gave a lot of examples of Stannis and and um, Solis and Melisandre, which we covered kind of before in the weeks weeks before. So I'm going to get straight to the point. He goes, to me, this whole thing just seems really, really contrived. I just get this huge sense of the Double Ds pulling strings at characters to do certain things because for some reason they've suddenly decided to eliminate the Stannis plot arc from the show. Be honest, Aaron. Do you think there's really any chance it's going to be the way Stannis resolves in the books? I can't imagine any possible way that book Stannis is going to resolve anywhere close to the way TV Stannis has resolved. It ain't happening. So again, what the hell? Well... I always try to be honest. Like I, you know, that's one thing that Jim and I kind of decided from the beginning that we weren't going to do uh, like a PTI format where we just take opposite sides of a debate and argue it to generate traffic. We were just always going to be honest with our opinions with the fans and see where that takes us. So I don't say things to, you know, piss off the fanboys or make the fanboys happy. I just kind of say what's on my mind. But at this point, honestly, I just can't believe that Stannis isn't going to burn Shireen into books. Now, I do think it's going to be more believable. It's going to be a more darkest hour type moment. Um, and in fact, that it doesn't even work. He does all this and it's and it and it misfires is a a, a bonus for me because I don't know why, but it feels very tragic in the best kind of Game of Thrones sense. Um, you know, and and to be completely honest, since, since this is what I'm going for, two weeks removed past the Baratheon barbecue that we we witnessed, I'm actually more angry that they did the moment in the way that was rushed and shitty and not as believable than the fact that the moment exists at all. Now, you know, if Stannis doesn't burn her... In the books, if this is just a complete deviation from plot by the Double Ds because they just got bored of Stannis and want to write him out, yeah, I'm going to be back there with pitchforks and torches and calling for heads because you're just ruining a character and having them op- uh, act in just some bizarre way um, for no good reason. Assuming that in the book, the Stannis character continues to be relevant and interesting as well. But you know, otherwise, I agree. I kind of agree with everything you, you, you're you're going on to say. I don't think they sold the desperation. That's something I've been saying th- the whole time. Uh, the inversion of the characters of Solis and Stannis, where Stannis was the more believable uh, or the more um, diehard believer, and Solis was the one that showed you know broke down and showed mercy at the end. It, it, it wasn't good. It's not good, man. But I don't think it's fatal. Uh, since Stannis is gone, the Boltons seem weakened, which let's face it, um, if thematically, that's probably the whole point that Shireen, uh, for Shireen's history lesson of the Dance of Dragons, right? Now Roos is right to be plucked by Littlefinger or whomever. It was just a, a weird season that they put 
they took so much time to laboriously set up these bullshit plots that have nothing to do with the book plots and don't seem to even serve a purpose in the show. Dorn just sucked. Sansa going backwards as a character and repeating her previous story arc sucked. Arya was going great until they went off script with her, and now it's over, and it mostly seems back on track. I mean, maybe the Double Ds just aren't having as much fun with the adaptations, since the last two books are kind of a bit of a sprawling mess. But I don't get why they muted so many great book moments and omitted others. I assume the North remembers that whole sequence um, that that was uttered earlier and then kind of got squashed with the flaying of the kind old lady. I assume that's going to pay off next season, maybe? And I guess this is the best case scenario that they knew this season. So they knew this season was going to be kind of a downer. And they saved some of the best stuff from dance to mix in with next season. So five will seen as, uh, be seen as kind of this hiccup. You know, still quite a good hiccup if you're judging it against everything else on television. Before we get right back to the freight train that Game of Thrones has historically been. And the one that we know and love. Or maybe... They save some of the good stuff because they've seen advanced copies of The Winds of Winter, and it's even more of a bummer. I mean, you know, George thought A Song of Ice and Fire was going to be a three-book trilogy when he wrote A Game of Thrones. He intended to flash forward five years and just yada, yada, yada through the entire events of Feast and Dance. You guys and gals know that, right? What if something happens over The Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring where we're going to get four books instead of two, if it balloons again. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? My gut says it's a bad thing, and I've been through this kind of thing before. I mean, I used to love Tom Clancy, and he went from this taut, suspenseful, suspenseful, ultra-realistic thriller to sprawling, complex, intricate yarns that I lost sleep over multiple days trying to finish, but he didn't stop there. He pushed into meandering, shrill, tone-deaf phone books with two to three admittedly fucking awesome set pieces and then back to complete crap over his career. We're hoping the books will make our personal investment into them worth it, but there's no guarantee, especially with, with Martin being more of a gardener than an architect. There's no... No guarantee that this is going to go in some place that's particularly satisfying or particularly interesting. And, you know, I think ultimately the final two books, or God help us, the final four books, are going to change how we view Feast and Dance. Like, if the final two books are subpar or mediocre, I think a lot of people are going to be like, ah, we should have seen this coming with Feast and Dance. However, if, if, you know, Winds of Winter, Dream of Spring are awesome and very satisfying, people are going, even the ones that are like, yeah, you know, they're kind of sprawling messes are going to come around like, yeah, you know, they're, they actually are underappreciated by fans at the time. And it's probably just as likely for, you know, if, if we just judge by the evidence we got, it's probably just as likely that the worst case scenario is going to happen as the best case scenario. Anyway kind of a bummer way to leave the season but uh that's all i've got for the spoiler section uh we've still got the season wrap-up cast where i'm going to try to do a little bit of uh, book versus show knowledge uh we're going to have you know my kind of uh, feelings on the debates uh my my hood wink to the show watchers about whether they can get online and start spoiling it up uh I'm not sure exactly what else. I mean, we've got just tons and tons of emails to discuss and some interesting theories and some interesting things that people have noted. So we've got one more coming out. Uh, then, you know, don't forget next week we start our playthrough of the 
the video game series by Telltale, the Game of Thrones. We're going to start with uh, the first episode and play that on Tuesday night, and then one a week past that. Now you got to be a Club Bald Move member to view those. Um, but you know, it's uh, as low as a buck a month. It's two bucks just if you just want to get it for a single month. I think that's not a bad price to pay uh, for the content. And, and again, all of our segments on the Walking Dead version of the Telltale game is up on YouTube, youtube.com slash baldmove at a playlist. So if you want to get a gist of it, you can check that out there. Uh, I know we had some early technical problems because that's the first time we'd ever done anything like that. And there's a couple of issues with the game audio that we eventually resolved. But um, check those out if you're at all interested. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and and hopefully worth the membership. Speaking of Club Bald Move, you know, I've, I've, I've said it many times, but the only way that I'm able to do these extra podcasts for Game of Thrones, or to the extent that we do extra stuff beyond, you know, our, our few tentpole shows, the extent that we're able to do more than one podcast a week is entirely because we're supported by you guys. We do this podcasting thing as our full-time job. You know, we built up the studio in Ohio, um, you know, Jim and I get together every day and we think of, uh, we, 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 we put content out that we hope you guys enjoy. And if you do, the hope is that you'll support us on clubbaldmove.com or, or you'll go to our amazon.baldmove.com link and, and use that and remember us, you know, keep us in a fun uh, part of your memory banks. So you'll remember to do that when you shop on Amazon, because that's the stuff that helps us, you know, and we've had, it's nice that our show like game of Thrones is getting big enough that it's attracting sponsors. And that helps out a lot, but honestly, uh, well over two thirds, three quarters of our operating revenue comes directly from the fan support. And we kind of like it that way. Honestly, if we could grow that to a hundred percent and just do away with the ads, that would be okay with us because our goal all along is to maintain an independent voice for podcasters and to be able to bring you guys the shows you want without any kind of, you know, bullshit and, and even finding advertisers and working out those deals and stuff is, you know, a distraction from, from being able to create content. So thanks to everybody who's listened to this podcast. Thanks to everybody's rated us reviewed on iTunes or has sent in a comment, uh, or has uh, given me some ideas for some theories, uh, or participating, but especially thanks to everybody who has uh, supported the podcast uh, over the past year that we've been. You know, this is coming up, uh, you know, at the start of the Game of Thrones season, that was kind of our one year anniversary of being in business. And, you know, we weren't sure we were going to make it. And we've made it through this year, and it's looking really good for us to make it through another year. So thanks everybody who have supported us and will continue to do so. And if you haven't, please. Please go to club.baldmove.com. At least give it a look over. See if there's anything in there that's, that might be interesting. We also did this really cool thing called Silent Movies. It's a game show that me and Jim have devised to play with ourselves where one of us takes a movie that the other hasn't seen and we edit out all of the dialogue. So all you're left are scenes that are kind of establishing shots, reaction shots, and all that stuff. And we play a game show where you try to figure out what the movie is about without any of those context clues. And we got the first one out there. Again, it's it's a premium feature only, um, but it's kind of cool. And I hope you guys check that out. Got any wrap-up thoughts for the wrap-up cast? You can send them in to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Of course, you've still got forums.baldmove.com. I'm sure that's going to be a hub of activity when the winds of winter come out uh, for us to discuss that and plan that. So keep your eyes on that. 
You can always follow us on Facebook and on Twitter to find out the moment that new stuff drops or what we're up to. Thanks for everybody for going on another spoiler ride with me this, this season. And, uh, uh, I'll see you on True Detective or one of our other mini shows that we're continuing on with. But uh, if you're a Game of Thrones only fan, have a great rest of the year and we will see you next spring. 